Romans chapter 15. I want to say again, welcome to those of you that may be listening by podcast or uh, on Facebook or through the YouTube channel. We're so glad to have you. But uh, Romans chapter 15 is where I'd like you to go. And the Lord just won't let me get away from this matter of prayer. It's not a series that that I've been preaching on, but it's just some of the importance. I, I You know, it's just it's something that we have to, and I... I'm sure that you understand this, but, you know, that what we need and uh, if we're going to be able to do the work of God and be the witness that we that we need, we've got to have the power of God. And that only comes by prayer, beloved. That's the only way that it gets done. Watchman Nee said that the will of God is like a freight train. And uh, I mean, you've seen how big they are. And uh, and to get that train as big as it is, it, it couldn't travel out here out on this road without a set of tracks. And prayer is what lays the tracks for the will of God uh, to be done, whether it be in our personal lives or whether it be in the life of the church. And so too, we need, we need this matter of prayer and we need to enter into it and, uh, and fully understand all the different, as much as we can, the different facets about it. So look with me here tonight and I want to talk to you about striving together in prayer, striving together in prayer. You know, we talked about the hindrances and we said, Lord, teach us to pray. That was one of the messages that they're from Luke 11. And so now this one, look with me in Romans 15 and look with me, please, in verse 30. We're using this as the introduction, Romans 15 and look in verse 30 with me. Paul wrote and said, now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted of the saints, and that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. All right? And so, uh, so let's look at this tonight, all right, as we can. Certainly, the Apostle Paul knew and understood the nature of the spiritual battle in which he was in. Uh, I mean, are you all aware of it? Amen. Do you, do you, believe, do you believe in spiritual warfare? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, uh, I, I believe it. And Paul understood the nature of the battle that he was in. And, uh, and, you know, and what we have to understand is, you know, I, I don't, you know, I haven't lost my mind tonight, but I want you to know there's a spirit world that's just outside of the visible world in which we live. The Bible says in the book of Colossians that Jesus was the creator of things both visible and what? And invisible. Now, just because something is invisible doesn't mean that it's imaginary. I mean, I can't see the wind but boy, I sure felt the presence of it, haven't you, these last few days? Hadn't it been windy? Yes, it has. So the wind is invisible. It's certainly not imaginary. And so too it is. There is a spiritual world that has an impact on this life, and we have an impact on it as you and I enter into that sacred realm of prayer. And Paul understood that. Paul realized that. He knew, he also knew and understood the nature and necessity of enlisting the body of Christ into that warfare. I mean, why else would we have armor to put on 
if we weren't going to be in a battle. Amen. That's what Ephesians 6 talks about. Wherefore, put on the whole armor of God. All right. And so, and, and understand this, you know, there's a lot of ministries that you and I can be a part of. Maybe you have the ministry of, of, of uh, mercy. Remember, that's one of the gifts that's mentioned, the gift of mercy, or maybe you have the gift of helps, or, or maybe you have the gift of, uh, of giving. That's, but those are all connected with a gift, all right? But the ministry of prayer is something that everyone is capable of entering into. Every one of us has that opportunity. And Paul knew full well that every believer in the body of Christ had the capability of prayer. And this matter of prayer was not associated with a gift. It's a privilege that you and I can enjoy that we can bring our petitions to him, that we can bring our cares before him, that he might tend to them in his timing according to his will. And that's for every person. That's not for missionaries alone. It's not for preachers alone or evangelists. It's for every child of God. And, uh, and the Lord Jesus expected us to pray, right? And that's what he said in Matthew 6. And when you pray, he was assuming that we were going to pray. That was his expectation. And so, and so you and I, we have that opportunity. And so Paul, that, that being said, Paul asked for them to strive together with him in prayer. Now that word strive means to vigorously fight. To vigorously fight. And he gives them their motivation. What was it for? Notice what it said. He said, look, at, look in verse 30 with me. He said, for, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit. So there's our motivation that the Lord Jesus Christ might be exalted and glorified in this life. That's part of what our, our responsibility is. That's part of what our ministry is. One of the things, you know, one of the three things that we want to do here at Ranchero Drive Baptist Church is we want to exalt the Savior. Amen? Can we be agreed on that? I think that would be a good thing. That the Lord Jesus Christ might be lifted up, that all men might be drawn unto him. Amen? The second thing is, I think we ought to try to edify the saints. That means to build you up in your faith and in your walk. And the third thing is, we ought to be about evangelizing the lost. We want to bring the gospel to the world, whether it be here locally or nationally or globally, like in our mission outreach. That's what we're trying to do. Those three purposes are part of the reason why we're here. And prayer is vital to the success of those three endeavors. And Paul knew that. And he said, for the, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit... And he deliberately gives them three things, and I'm just going to mention them here. Notice what he said, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. He, you know, Paul knew there were some enemies of the gospel out there, and some of those people uh, could get pretty stirred, up, pretty stirred up about that. And so he prays about, he wants them to pray with him about his safety. That's something that we should do for our missionaries. Amen. Pray that they would be safe. They've got to work with governments. That, that They've got to work with people that don't believe they're necessary. And they've got to deal with those things. He also said, and that my service, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted of the saints. And so he asked them to pray about his safety, pray about his service, that it might be received and what he was going to do. You know, because, you know, he was, he was introducing something that was foreign to them, the idea that Jews and Gentiles could be in the same body together. That was a foreign idea to what they were accustomed to. And that was part of the reason why he had been arrested was because of his 
of his endeavoring to do that, to preach the gospel. Remember what he said in Acts chapter 13 and verse 46? He said, lo, seeing that you judge yourselves unworthy of, of, of everlasting life, eternal life. He said, lo, we turn unto the Gentiles. And so Paul became that missionary to the Gentiles. And so, so he's asked him about his safety. He wants him to pray about his service. And then notice what he says. Look at the last thing there. Look in verse Look in verse 32 with me. And he said that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be, what, refreshed. He was wanting them to pray about his spirit. You know, because there's a lot of adversaries and there's a lot of difficulty and a lot of obstacles. He didn't want to have a bad attitude. <laughs> he was a man of like passions, just like us. And he needed, and he needed some prayer about that. He said, I, I, I want to come with a good spirit. I want to come with joy. I want to be able to do my job according to the will of God, and I need help doing that. So those three things, pray about his safety, pray about his service, and pray about his spirit, that it would be right. Amen. So I want you to go then with me. Go now with me to the book of 1 Timothy, and I won't make you turn anyplace else. 1 Timothy, and look with me in chapter 2. So how are we supposed to strive? How are we supposed to strive together with them? All right. Well, I think it's outlined here for us in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now, you know that the books of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, those are considered the pastoral epistles. If you've ever joined those or if you've ever examined those, that's kind of how they're thought of. The pastoral epistles, Paul writing to Timothy and Titus and, and to Philemon uh, about those things. But specifically, they were designed for for a man, as he was to go through the ministry and enter the ministry, there's a lot of there are a lot of important things that are outlined here for us, and so uh, and so one of the things. Look here with me in chapter two and look in verse one. I want you to see Paul's exhortation. What is an exhortation? An exhortation. Uh, the way a fellow put it to me one time, an exhortation is kind of like when you got to jumpstart your truck. All right, you need a little help. All right, it's got to have a little jolt. And so he's going to exhort them about some things that are very important and things that are pleasing to God. And he wanted Timothy to have this so that Timothy, in turn, could teach the people that he was going to be pastoring. So let's look at that. Notice what he says. I exhort, therefore. There's his, there's his exhortation, right? I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers... Intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now, why? Notice what it said. Look at verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. So what he's telling them, if we will do this, this is what pleases the Lord. And I think it's really interesting. He gives us the priority of prayer. Notice what he said. First of all, of all the things that he could have maybe tried to help Timothy with as he was entering the ministry, he might have, you know, he might have, well, don't speak too long. Don't speak too short. Make sure that you, you know, that you get these things right. Be sure to cover doctrine. He's going to talk about that later on. I mean, there's a lot of things that are involved in the ministry. And of all the things that he needed, the very first thing he tells him, first of all, is you got to make this a matter of prayer. It's got to be a matter of prayer. And prayer, why? 
because Paul knew he would not be able to fulfill the will of God because if he didn't have, if he didn't have, if you will, the powers that be to be in a line with these things. And you'll understand what I mean by that here in just a second. But notice what he says. Of all the things he addressed this, he places prayer at the top of the list. And why? Paul understood the role of government and the reason why they were there. Do you, do you know why government is to exist? One of the very, one of the very primary things is, is that government was there. Our government is here to protect us, not to persecute us. Y'all with me? Amen. That's, that's its role. Its primary purpose is to protect its citizens, not to persecute its citizens. But think about the times in which Paul lived. Paul had been in prison already as he's writing these things. And, you know, and Nero was the one that was in charge of Rome. Can you imagine what kind of corruption and what kind of, what kind of wickedness was involved? I mean, Nero was the guy that would light Christians on fire. If you do a little study about Nero, he would light them on fire when he was having a big function or a party or whatever. He would, he would light them on fire and use them as human torches for his gatherings. Some were turned to the animals in the Colosseum. You know, people go by there and they remark about what architecture, what... But man, it was a place of cruelty. And in particular for Christians... But yet Paul understood the role of government. Notice what he said. Listen to what he said in Romans 13. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. He didn't say, Lord, remove them. He didn't say, God, kill them or cure them. He just said, man, we're to pray for those in authority. We're to pray for those in authority. He understood the natural tendency of things is for it to go down. Remember the old saying, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And Paul knew that. Paul understood that about the nature of men, the nature of mankind without God, what will happen to them. That's why things are not getting better. Things are getting worse. But you know what? But I say, you know, cheer up, Christian. It's probably going to get worse before it gets better. But listen. I'm not saying that to discourage you. I just talked about hope before services began. I'm, I, I'm, you know what? And my hope is in him, man. He knows these things. And just as I, just as I quoted, you know, according to Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 21, the scripture does say that the king, correction, Proverbs 21 verse 3, it says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and as the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Governments and potentates can't do what they're able to do without God in heaven allowing it and seeing it and knowing all about it. Never forget that. Now maybe however dark it may get, and the scripture talks about, yea, all that live godly shall suffer persecution. That may come. That may happen someday. I don't know about all those things. I just know this, that God has enough grace and God has enough mercy. Amen. And uh, when the time is right, he will take us out of here. And that is true. He knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. He does. He does. And so, so he understood that their role was protection and not persecution. And, uh, and so one of the things, listen, listen to what this says. I'm going to read you. Don't turn there. You can look it up later. It's in Psalm 122. Listen to this passage, what it says. Psalm, uh, Psalm 122. 
Notice, notice what David writes here in this passage. All right? And, and, and he says this. You know, you, now you quote part of this in some of your verses or some of the things that you have read from time to time. But listen to this. He said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Now watch. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. Whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, under the testimony of Israel, to give thanks unto the name of the Lord, for there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of, of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. David just wasn't praying about any old thing. Man, he was praying for the government. He was praying for the leaders in Jerusalem. He's praying for those things that peace might rule and reign in that town. And that's part of the reason why we're to pray for those who are in authority over us. Why? That we may lead that quiet and peaceable life. That's what the Lord, that, that's what the Lord wants for us. That's why we're praying for these people in their positions of authority. Why? That we could lead that quiet and peaceable life. Beloved, it's the only way it's going to get done. It is the only way. And so, so Paul knew that. And he was trying to impart that to Timothy without getting frustrated and without becoming angry about things. Because we're going to talk about that. That will hinder our prayer life, brethren. If we, let, if we get crosswise with some of those things, all right? So, so notice what the patterns of prayers are. Notice what he said. What was it he said? That, that what? He said, first of all, supplications. That just simply means expressing needs. Expressing needs. And he said prayers. That's worship or devotion. These are the different types of prayer that are out there. And then he talked about intercessions. Intercessions is the expressing of needs of and, and for others. This is praying for people who cannot pray for themselves. Who don't even know that they need some things. But you and I, we see some things that they need. And we pray for them. And you know, I think it's one of the highest callings. But you say, how do you know that? Well, that's what the Lord Jesus does for us every day. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he maketh intercession for us. He's interceding on our behalf. So, the, the, these patterns. And then, of course, notice what it said. Thanksgiving. Man, after I heard what I heard, what little bit I heard today, I didn't watch anything last night. And sometimes I, I just have to say, you know what? I have to give thanks by faith. Yeah. Amen, brother Ed. It's true. Do I like what's going on? No, I don't. Do, do I think there was much truth spoken? No, I don't. But the Bible says with thanksgiving, I'm to pray for those in authority. Jude said, don't speak evil about dignities. You and I don't want to be like brute beasts. This will hinder us in our prayer life. And beloved, we need our prayers answered. It's tough, men. It, it's, it's tough. But really is, what, what this is, this is really a matter of faith. Do I believe the word of God or do I want to believe my next door neighbor who's just as angry? You know what I mean? It's easy to it's easy to be influenced by those things. That, you know, I, I enjoyed. I, I I confess I, I enjoyed listening to Rush Limbaugh sometimes, but if I listen to it too much, 
He would get me crosswise with God because about what my feelings were about the government. And that's, you know, the powers that be ordained of God. Whosoever resisted the power, resist who? Resist God. So I had to back away from that stuff because it's vexing. And I don't want to be that way. And so how are we supposed to pray? Notice what he said. And look at it, verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. That's how the Lord does business. I mean, couldn't, couldn't the Lord Jesus have just said, you know, Pilate, I think I've had enough of you. <laughs> and he just probably, just probably could have thought it. And that have been it. But that's not the way that he dealt with him. And you say, well, yeah, brother, Ed, he was God. I understand that, but he was 100% God and he was also 100% man. And he is our example. We're to pray for those in authority. We're to pray for them. You know, and how did he put this? Notice what it said. For kings and for all that are in authority. I, when I think about the, when I, I, it says that prayer should be made for all men. That's all men. And then for kings, that's the supreme leader. Then for all that are in authority, that's to me all the little sub-authorities that are around here that we have. And, and you know what? You're never going to get away from authority. There's always going to be somebody out there who will tell you what to do. You know, it's like, and you know, it's an age-old thing that people laugh at. You know, the young man says, man, I'm tired of taking orders at the house. I'm just going to go off and join the military. Oh, good night. You don't do anything, as you recall, right? You don't do anything without them telling you to do it. You're always going to have authority. Even if you own your own business, the customer will tell you what they want. Amen. They will. They will. You're always going to have that. But the people that we're to pray for, we're to pray for those in authority and those under them that, that we can lead that quiet and peaceable life. I mean, you know, think about this. You know, when Abraham Lincoln was going from Springfield to Washington, he had just been elected president. I know you've got to go back a little bit. None of us were here for that. All right? It's around 1861. And was the country in good shape in 1861? No, it wasn't. And, uh, and so he had come to rule there, if you will, in, in one of the greatest times of difficulty and trouble. And here's what he said as he got on the platform to get on the train to leave. He said, well, friends and neighbors, he said, there's one thing that you can do for me that I ask you to do, and that is pray for me. And the train went off and took him to Washington. Don't you wish that we had some men and women in office who felt like that today? And this is why our prayers, beloved, are so important. That, may, that maybe in our praying, you know, man, you, I know you all know who Elvis Presley is, right? They said there in Graceland in Memphis, he had like five different sets of bodyguards. That if someone were to try to, you know, break into the house or whatever, they had to get through five different levels of security, brother, before they could actually get to him. But you know what? It couldn't keep the angel of death out. All that security and all that money and all that couldn't keep death out. Well, you know what? There are countries that are closed to missionaries 
but they're not close to our prayers. And there are levels of security around people in, in high places, in offices, but you know what? It can't keep our prayers out. And I'm talking about prayers for the turning of their hearts. Amen. That they might be people that would say, you know, get on there. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been a blessing if he got up and said, man, you know, I've bitten off more than I can chew and I need help from above and I just need some of y'all to pray for me. I want to make good decisions. I want to judge righteously. I want to do right. Boy, that would have shocked everybody, a Republican and Democrat. We can have that kind of influence if we really believe no. We really believe in what prayer can mean, what it can mean and what it can do. If we really believe in that. Listen to what this says. Acts 9.31 says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, and they were multiplied. Why? Those men, they were praying. They, I mean, the very thing the Lord Jesus had told them to do made a difference and we can have that here was there persecution in those days absolutely there was and yet they went on anyway in the comfort of the Holy Ghost and the church was multiplied in those times and Paul tells us why this needed to be look look in verse 4 with me here's Paul's explanation who will have all men to be saved and to come under the knowledge of the truth Man, that is our, that's part of our function here. God, God wants all men and women, boys and girls to be saved, to know him as Lord and Savior. I mean, and, and listen, we don't have to beg God to do what he already wants to do. It's not about our begging. It's about our believing God. And it's more about, it's more about asking, asking God to touch the hearts of those who need the Savior, that those hearts might become tender, that they might start thinking about the things that matter most, like their own mortality, like where are they going to spend eternity and the like, and their personal needs. His unconditional love for mankind needs no prompting. We don't have to pump him up. We don't have to work him up to do what he wants to do. The Holy Ghost is going to do his job. This, this is the age of the Holy Spirit. What's he going to do? He's supposed to what? Reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Is he going to be faithful and do his job? Yes, he is. What we have to pray for is the hearts of men that the impact of that would be what God wants. That's why we pray for those in authority. And in turn, we can lead this quiet and peaceable life so that we can see where we can minister to others. That's all anybody ever wanted, even during the COVID. We just wanted to be able to keep doing what we were doing. We weren't trying to fly in the face of anything. We just still want to be able to minister. Remember when they told Daniel, you can't pray? What did he do? He went home praying. We just wanted to be business as usual. We're not trying to be rebels. We just want to be able to minister to the word of God to people. And we need the Lord's help to do that. And that's part of what we're praying about. That those in government would not see this as a threat, but rather as an asset. An asset. Paul had that exhortation for them. Paul has an explanation. Listen, listen to what Paul said. I mean, 
God wants us to testify of the ransom of Christ. Look what it says. It says, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Now watch. To be testified in due time. God wants the testimony of Christ to be out there. Listen, but Paul understood this. He said that for a great and effectual door is open unto me and there are many adversaries. That's why he had them pray. Why there were many adversaries. Now that's the work of the enemy. And you have to understand, it's not really that person. It's the devil behind that. It's not that person. I mean, that's right where we were before we got saved. I wish I could say I've never been carnal ever since I got saved. But that's not true. But I don't want that to be. Paul said this, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Why? Those adversaries were there. That's why they, some of them had him in prison trying to get rid of him, to shut him up, to get rid of him. And what did he do? He just looked at all those as being opportunities, not obstacles. All those soldiers, four quaternions. That means, that means every six hours, those, those guys, 24 hours in a day, every six hours, they were, he was chained to somebody. And man, he had a captive audience. And that's why he said, man, the gospel is out there from the prison to the palace. Why? Because those guards, they rotated through all those things. And Paul just took advantage of those opportunities. There were some people in the Moravian church John Huss being a Moravian many, many years ago. Do you know they had a prayer meeting? Do you know how long that prayer meeting lasted when they got it started? It lasted 100 years. Around the clock for 100 years. You know what those people did? For every, for every family in there, they supported a missionary. For every family. And some of them even did this. Some of them even sold themselves into slavery. Say, why on the earth did they do that? So they could be chained to a man who did not know the Savior. We don't know much about that. That's one of those things, sister, I said, where you want to throw the bed out and sleep on the floor. That's what that means, you know. But Paul had an explanation for this. And he said, where unto I'm ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ. He wanted them to have that. He wanted them to have that. Let me give you this last thing and I'm going to be done. Paul had an expectation. Look at verse 8. I will therefore, as this apostle, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Paul had an expectation of both men and women in this matter of prayer. Concerning the men, you know, now think about it, men. What happened, to, what happened after Adam's disobedience? Did Adam already have a job before the fall? Yes, he did. But when he fell, what happened to work? It intensified. It got harder. It became more difficult in the sweat of his brow. What happened, what happened after Eve was deceived? The scripture says that her husband would rule over her. Now listen. Paul is not a chauvinist. 
Y'all remember what that word means, right? Chauvinist. He wasn't a misogynist. He wasn't into that. I mean, if he was, he wouldn't have written about Phoebe. He wouldn't have written about Dorcas. He wouldn't have written about Aquila and Priscilla and how he commended them. I mean, he even gave Phoebe a job. He said, man, when she comes to town, whatever she needs, basically, I'm paraphrasing here, whatever she needs, make sure she gets it. Because she's looked after a lot of people. She's helped a lot of people. He and women in the ministry, that was not a conflict. But there were some things here that concerned men God's interested in how we use our hands, brethren, and he wants our hearts to be right. He doesn't want us to be angry over our situations. Why? Because that affects our prayer life. It hinders us in our prayer life. Notice what it says. Look at verse, verse 8. I will, therefore, that men pray, and where? Everywhere. This is, both, this is talking about public prayer, and it's also talking about private prayer. Personal prayer. That our hands are clean. We're to lift holy hands without what? Without wrath. That's without any anger. And without doubting. He doesn't want us to be angry about the circumstances of the day. He wants our hearts to be right. Why? That our prayers might be heard and answered. And then ladies, look right quick what it says. It says about for the, for the women. One of the things, man would be her head. There would be sorrow in childbearing. And what was important for her was her adorning and her attitude. Listen, ladies. Notice what it says. Look at verse 9. In like manner also. You see, that's, it's not just what's good for the men. This is what's good for the ladies also. Verse 9. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness. That means they can blush still. All right? And sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array. In other words, he didn't want her to be focused on her vanity. There's some ladies, you know, you talk to them, well, I can't go out unless I get my face on. I got to put my face on first. Why? God doesn't want your confidence in your makeup, ladies. God wants your confidence in your maker. Amen. Now listen, I don't think there's wrong with putting some paint on the barn. All right, I'll, I'll just throw that out there for you. And I'm not trying to be long tonight. I understand. And, I, and you want to look, I, I get all that. But we can't have confidence and it can't just be about vanity. That's just like a man trying to pray and his heart's not right. He hasn't done a hard day's work for an honest wage or whatever. He's got some problems and something is hindering him. And, and if we're focused so much, ladies, on those outward things rather than on those inward things, it gets in the way of your prayer life. There's, there's some principles that are here. And Paul had an expectation. Her adorning, how she's clothed, and her attitude, how she carries herself. You know, there are some women out there today, man, they're angry about stuff. They're angry. It's all about, man, I, you know, part of what that is is not accepting their role in creation. Doesn't mean you have to be barefoot and pregnant, ladies. That's not what that means. But the scripture does say, I would that younger women 
would marry, bear children, and guide the home. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to be made to feel like you're a second-class citizen because maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or whatever. Man, that's hard work. It's hard work. Look what happened in COVID. Man, men found out about a lot of stuff what their wives did that they had no clue about. Accepting your role in creation doesn't mean you're a second-class citizen, but the Scripture does say that he would be your head. You can't have a rebellious heart and expect to be heard. And God wants your prayers. He wants to hear your prayers. Why? He's interested in you. And brethren, he's interested in us. We've got to do these things the right way. Our hands and our hearts, men, we have to accept our role in creation. That we're to lead, we're to love, we're to listen. <laughs> yeah, I know it's hard, man, I know. And we're to labor. There's a bunch of L's right there. Lead with some enthusiasm. Not, oh gosh, another day with her. No, 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 no. We're to lead. We're to love. We're to listen. That takes time. Time. Patience. I know you just want to get to the facts. But you've got to get through all those other things. Because that's how they listen. And then when you skip stuff, they want to know, well, what happened about that? Well, how did it get like that? Well, what made them do that? Oh, that doesn't matter. Oh, yes, it does. I want to know what. Am I not right, ladies? And then labor. Why? When you labor, and I know that you have men that you're in here. You know what happens when you labor? You'll earn the respect of your wife. You'll earn the respect of your father-in-law. If he's still alive, you'll have their respect. You'll have resources that you're going to need to feed your family. And also, if you will, resources maybe to help some others who are in need. A lot of those things. We have to accept our role in creation. It came with your gender. And yes, there are only two, a man and a woman. Amen. Amen. But society has put so much pressure in these areas. Even for the ladies. You know this whole idea behind glamour shots. Do you remember those when those were popular? Glamour shots? You know, it's where you took your little girl to some place and they dialed her up and made her, you know, made her look like she was 16 or 17 and she might have been 10. I knew moms, I knew parents that did that. With their, what, what in the world were they thinking about? They grow up so fast anyway. Man, they ought to still be playing with dolls at 10 years old or whatever. Or having school and teaching their dolls how to read or whatever. Yeah, they ought to be able to have little, be little girls. Be little boys when they need to be. And that's why, Mom and Dad, these are things that we, when we accept our role, it helps them in their role. Because Christian education starts at the house. It's where it starts. You know, dignity, ladies. Dignity. That is a nobility or an elevation of character through your relationship with Christ. 
The Bible talks about strong women. They retain honor. Yes, honor. How they carry themselves. And that's what Paul was trying to get apart here. Whether it be publicly or privately, these things have an impact on your, on your prayer life. If we're going to strive together, if we're going to be in this battle, then we've got to be, just like, you know, we had to have PT when I went into basic training. I don't know about, were you really ready to carry a gun and do all those things when you first went in? No, I wasn't either, and neither, probably neither were you. Some of you probably had never even been on a train or a bus before. Never been out of your county before. So we had to go through some training, some physical training. Had to have some PT. Well, that's what this kind of is. If we're going to strive, we've got to be fit for it. So these things are so important. That's why I need your prayers. Our missionaries need your prayers. Our, our government officials need your prayers. Your brothers and sisters need our prayers. Why? This young, like this young man up there, he needs our prayers up there. So we've got to do our part in that. If we're going to strive together, if we're going to fight vigorously, that means we've really got to understand the nature of the battle, that we've really got to embrace this if we want to move forward. You know, being a Christian is not a spectator sport. You know, it requires participation. Somebody said a, a, that Super Bowl is a lot like a church. Have you ever heard that before? Super Bowl is a lot like a church. He said, you've got 50,000 people who are at rest, who are in bad need of exercise, watching 22 people who are in bad, who are, correction, the 50,000 are people who are at rest, who need exercise, who are watching 22 people who are in bad need of rest do all the work. But you know, our size, it's all hands on deck. Amen. All hands on deck. And we can do it. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. How many people does it take to make a difference? Just one of us. Just one of us. And you can do it. Striving together with me in prayer. Amen? Let's be committed to it. All right? I'm telling you, the Lord will bless you for it. It'll make a difference. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these dear saints, Lord, and I appreciate their patience tonight. And Lord, I thank you for the challenge that Paul gives to not only Timothy, but to us about how we handle this matter of prayer. God, teach us how to do these things. Uh, put a hunger and thirst, Lord, for fellowship with you, that we may see the touch of God and the power of God to be used of it in our community, Lord. And I pray, Father, we could see the battle the way that Paul did. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.